Um, let's look at Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore, bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. <laughs> and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Okay, so this is the bit where if I'm really honest, uh, I do wonder why you know God did this. You know why did God accept or had regard for Abel and his offering, but um, for Cain, God had no regard. And you can almost understand, you know, why Cain is very angry, even though God says in verse six, "Why are you angry?" <laughs> you can almost understand because. You know, here are two kids, um, well, they've probably grown up by now, but um, they're both serving God. And for God to choose one and not the other seems almost unfair, right? I, I don't know, is it just me? Um, feels that way. And if I'm honest, you know, I, I would feel like it's unfair. You know, I, I, I might have sour face. <laughs> Why has your face fallen, God says. Um, and especially, especially with the expectations I think his parents had for Cain. You know, when he was born, you know, he was the firstborn. He's the anak sulong, we say in Malaysia. He's the oldest. And, um, you know, Eve uh, was so proud of Cain when he was born. said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So there's a lot of expectation on Cain being a man, you know, um, on Eve producing this man, maybe producing this hope, this new life, seen in this one person called Cain. Uh, doesn't say very much about Abel. No, she bore Abel, his brother. So Abel is just defined as Cain's brother. I'm not sure whether you're uh, known as that. Oh, I'm that person's brother. <laughs> uh, everyone knows your older brother, Cain. And Cain is the one who is the worker of the ground. And uh, that's what his dad did. You know, Adam was the worker of the ground. Cain is like his father. So you see all these expectations on Cain. And again, Cain wanting to serve God and Cain bringing this offering before God, but God then choosing to accept his younger brother's offering and ignoring his, and then saying, why are you angry? Of course, I mean, of course he's angry. He feels it's unfair. He feels like he's supposed to be the older brother. He's supposed to be the one who's accepted. But God says, if you do well, verse seven, if you do well, Will you not be accepted? And again, you know, I'm not sure what does that mean. You know, what does it mean for Cain 
to do well, bring better vegetables maybe. Um, I, I know that people kind of like almost argue about the kinds of offering that they bring, but we don't know, we don't know what is it that you know made Abel's offering acceptable and Cain's um, less acceptable. Yeah. Uh, and people point to verse four, you know, Abel brought the fat portions, the firstborn of the flock, and maybe, you know, possibly that Abel brought the best or it involved a sacrifice. You know, animals had to die rather than vegetables be, had, having, to, <laughs> having to die. Um, maybe could be that, you know, could be that there was life that was sacrificed in order to offer up to God. Maybe there already there was a hint there. But it seems to be something to do with the person offering up the sacrifice itself because God says again to Cain, if you, if you do well, or verse 7, if you do not do well. And then God says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So there's something to do with Cain and his heart himself. You know, now that he's angry and dissatisfied sin is waiting to take advantage of that dissatisfaction is waiting for you at the door and if you don't watch out if you don't master sin it will overpower you but god is saying you need to watch your heart you need to deal with sin in this state of anger i mean isn't there like a verse that says that i think ephesians be angry and do not sin Ephesians Ephesians um, Ephesians chapter 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 somewhere <laughs> um, I don't know I think I remember seeing it somewhere in Ephesians uh, oh well okay I'll, I'll try to find it later uh, but uh, somewhere somewhere in Ephesians if you find it let me know be angry and do not sin. And so it's that situation of anger that is tempting to sin, and yet you can still resist it. You haven't yet sinned. And I guess the thing that really bothers me about this is that um, I think a lot of us are like Cain, especially in ministry. And I say that because that's what they're doing. They're serving God. They're giving an offering. And imagine if someone else, like a brother, was doing better at ministry than you. And um, you feel it. I mean, I feel it. You know, why is it God blessing that church and not mine, that ministry and not mine? And um, it scares me that it can cause you to get angry with God, um, that you can cause you to actually hurt a fellow brother just because there is that element of competition in wanting to serve God. That's silly, right? That, that, that's silly. To want to compete with one another for God's attention and because of that you feel justified in hating God and hating your brother. Yeah, But that happens here and I think it happens here as well. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, oh, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Wow, okay. It's almost psychopathic. 
you know, um, you see Cain and his actions, you know, speaking to Abel, going to the field, and then killing him. You know, there is planning involved. I'm going to get him to a secluded place. I'm going to trick him. I'm going to say, let's go for a walk. And even up to the point when he finally takes his brother's life, you know, it's already been planned. Everything leading up to that was just building up to this one intent of taking his own brother, you know, killing his own brother and taking his life. That's scary, but also psychopathic, I guess. Um, I was listening to this podcast um, about this Netflix TV show about a serial killer, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer or something like that. I never watched it, but it was really interesting hearing um, actually a friend who was talking about this. Uh, shout out to uh, MJ um, and uh, his interview on Yamcha Sessions. It's a really, really long interview, so I'm only making my way one-third through. But at that point, he's talking about uh, what's going on in the mind of this killer. And the thing that really struck me was how he said, this guy was just really normal. He, he just acted like a normal human being. But then he started killing people. Uh, and it was because he had been abandoned as a child. And these abandonment issues caused him to want to seek for approval or seek for a company. But at the same time, uh, he just found almost pleasure in killing other people. And, 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 and that's, that's really weird, right? You know, for someone to seem so normal but then also have that ability to kill and take a life and apparently didn't really gross things to his victims. But here, you know, Cain acts so normal, even when God asks him the question, oh, where is Abel? And he says, I don't know, you know, uh, you know I'm, I'm not like my, the person, my job is not to look after my brother, in other words, you know, am I my brother's keeper? You know, am I supposed to keep track of him? You know, it's not my job. You know, as if you know, he doesn't care. And, and, you know, he doesn't seem to display any conscience. And again, you know what? Um, I think it's, it's not just that he doesn't want to admit guilt. And that's the thing. Um, uh, you know, a lot of us are afraid of being found out you know, when you do something wrong. But here he thinks as if he hasn't done anything wrong. If anything, he feels as if he has been wronged. Hence again, am I my brother's keeper? You know, he feels as if God is asking him a question he shouldn't be asking him. You know, why are you asking me? It's not my job. And he just feels constantly angry and justified in his anger, even towards God even after he's killed his brother, even though he is wrong. You know, that kind of anger just blinds him to his sin and makes him, you know, dissatisfied with anything and any grace that God gives him. And here God is showing him grace because God knows what he's just done, God has been warning him and trying to counsel him and he just keeps ignoring it again and again and again. And just carries on with life as usual. Verse 10, And the Lord said, What have you done? 
the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. God can hear Abel's blood speaking to him from the ground. It's so creepy, actually. Yeah, this dead man's blood speaking to God. Verse 11, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So you see that God actually knows what's happening. And that's one thing that's surprising because God says, you know, what's happened to your brother. God actually knew it. And yet God is still giving that opportunity for not Abel Cain to come forward with his sin. It says something about God, that God, when he confronts us with sin, he still gives us that grace to come forward and repent with our sin. It says so much about God's patience. God doesn't just burst in the room and say, you know, you did this. But God says, you know, what is it that you've done? You know, come forward. Acknowledge it. Ask for forgiveness. But he doesn't. And God knows it. Knows the state of his heart. Yeah. And now what's happened is Cain is cursed uh, from the ground. And that should sound familiar because that's the way that Adam was cursed. You know, Adam was cursed uh, when he took the fruit and when he disobeyed God, he was cursed, but God cursed the ground. He wasn't cursed directly. The thing that he was entrusted with, his ministry was cursed. Um, his job was cursed, you can put it that way, such that, you know, it almost was a reflection of his sin towards God. The way that he rebelled against God would be now the way that the ground would rebel against Adam and now against Cain. You know, verse 12, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. So even at this point, he's complaining. He feels it's unfair. When he's being punished for a sin that he did do, that he hasn't yet confessed and he hasn't yet even shown any remorse for, he feels as if he has been wronged by a punishment that he deserves. My punishment is greater than I can bear. And he blames God, you have driven me away. He blames God for punishing him rightly for his sin. And God still shows him grace. Verse 15, then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Now, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, if anyone kills this person, this person shall be punished seven times over. And, and you know, you kind of wonder, hey, what about Abel? <laughs> Shouldn't Cain be punished seven times fold? But no, here you see, God is showing so much equity, so much fairness even in in protecting Cain uh, as he's being punished. His punishment is only that he's being driven away, not that he's being killed. 
his punishment is such that he will well lose that status you know of being uh, within the sphere of God's presence but at the same time God's mark will be upon him to protect him from being killed or being taken advantage of by others who think that hey you know Cain is no longer in God's good books I'm going to kill him and so God says and so sorry verse 15 again and the Lord put a mark on Cain lest any who found him should attack him so you see God is protecting him God put his mark saying hey you know hands off you know this person uh, should not be messed with, even though I'm punishing him. So, so in the midst of God's punishment, I think God's still showing grace, still showing fairness. It's not uh, vindictive, and yet at the same time, um, showing almost love. Maybe an opportunity for Cain to realize that this punishment is still a sign of God's justice and grace and love towards him. And maybe there is always an opportunity for him to come back and repent and to turn back towards God. Uh, but it doesn't. Verse 16, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Oh, there's more. Um, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. So already, you know, Cain uh, settles down in this place called Nod. And Nod, uh, let me look at my footnotes, Nod means wandering. So he's meant to be a wanderer, but he settles down in a place called wandering. <laughs> I'm not sure what it means. Maybe it's a a play on his status. You know, he's this um, person who has no home. And so he play, settles in a place that has no home. Or maybe he doesn't want to be uh, constantly wandering. And so he settles down and he builds the city. He gathers around him people and he wants to create his own community. He wants to create his own new um, settlement, his own people now and um, maybe it might even be a sign of his rebellion against God's judgment because God says you're supposed to leave you're supposed to be you're supposed to keep moving you're not supposed to settle down but he says nope you know what I'm going to settle down and build this own city and name it after my son Enoch maybe I'm not, I'm not too sure about that um, but then we get a list of his uh, descendants his sons especially to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad father Mahujiel, and Mahujiel father Methushiel, and Methushiel father Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. Uh, the name of the one was Ada, the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nehemiah. Okay, all right. So, very, very accomplished uh, sons of Lamech. So, tracks down from Cain to Enoch to Irat to Mahujel and to Methushel and to Lamech. So, it's kind of like. Um, it's six or seven descendants down 
yeah, something like that, seven descendants down, and focuses now on this descendant of Cain called Lamech, and um, his kids are, you know, the father of all kinds of um, well, enterprising endeavors. So uh, Jabal is the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So now he has um, real estate, you know, he has tents, and uh, he has livestock, which is probably a measure of great wealth. You know, um, uh, essentially, um, you're providing food not just for yourself, but for others. So he's a very uh, entrepreneurial, you could say, son. You know, he had all these businesses and property. Yeah. His brother's name was Jubal, father of those who played the lyre and pipe. So musician. So... Um, a leader in the arts, very creative, and he uh, is able to play multiple instruments, the lyre and the pipe, be composed, lots of music as well. So one um, very entrepreneurial, business-like person, one artsy, very, very uh, musical, very creative son. Also Tubal Cain, you know, this was, um, his mom was Zilla, and Tubal Cain was a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. So um, it's kind of like um, technological advancements. So, in, uh, so instead of stone, now bronze and iron, he ushered in a new phase of technology, a new wave of improvements and advancements, maybe kind of like the Bill Gates or... Steve Jobs of his generation. So, you know, very accomplished sons, you know, who, who excel in business and arts and in technology. So, you know, um, you see the advancement in humankind. You see uh, dwellers in cities. You see um, advancement in the arts. You see kind of like, you know, um, leaps and bounds in thinking and business and yeah, you know, all kinds of advancements. Uh, and then Lamech, focus back on Lamech, their dad. Verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, wives, sorry, he had two wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And so you see, Lamech is kind of like his great-great-great-grandfather Cain, you know, seven generations down, in that he killed this guy just for wounding him. And he feels justified because he says, you know what, my ancestor Cain his revenge is sevenfold, mine shall be seventy-sevenfold. You know, he, he takes this mark of Cain and he multiplies it seventy-sevenfold. And he's saying, I deserve to kill this guy. You know, because, you know, um, uh, God said, you know, if anyone kills this person, you know, he'll be punished seven times. But this other person just wounded him. And so I killed him. And I'm right in killing him because God says it's right for me to do this. It's kind of twisted, isn't it? 
He's just amplified this violence, amplified this vindictiveness, amplified this self-justification to hurt other people. And in the name of God. And so what you see here is from Cain, um, kind of like what happens down the generations and what kind of DNA passes down. It's a DNA on the one hand of advancement, in humankind, all kinds of improvements, all kinds of achievements, but also you know, sin. You see sin growing within the generation. You know, his sons becoming more and more violent and vindictive and self-justified. And both are true. You know, you can have a society that grows in achievement and business and you're more wealthy uh, you you just have done more with your life you've built cities you've uh, built um, businesses that kind of thing and at the same time you're just more cruel you're just more nasty and you're just more religious maybe even um, but also more justified you think in hurting other people it's, it's very very possible and, and sometimes we don't see that. We see that just because that person is rich, that person is smart, went to Cambridge, that person is able to, you know, play music and very, very creative. We think, therefore, they must be nice people. They must be, you know, just cultured. They must be, you know, very reasonable people. But no, they could be very, very cruel. They could be just blind to the fact that they're just, that they, they ignore God and, they use God's name perhaps even to justify their cruelty and their hatred towards their brother. Yeah. Uh, let's finish up verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. And so... Um, um, Adam and Eve have another son, but they see Seth, this son, as a replacement for Abel. And so um, they see Seth now, you know, earlier on it was Cain. You know, Cain was the hope of his family. Cain was the one who was the one that was the man. But now the true hope is in this other son called Seth. And, and there is something slightly more gracious in the way that they mention, they talk about Seth. They say, God has appointed another, another one, you know, someone to take the place of Abel. Maybe realizing in, in grief, you know, that they may be, he was the true hope. I think that's what it's saying. And now God has given them another hope in this person called Seth. And now it traces down the line of Seth, the descendants of Seth. Verse 26, to Seth also was a son born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so there seems to be this connection between Seth and his descendants and them calling out to God and worshiping him. I think that's the kind of implication, calling on the name of the Lord and maybe even calling out for help and calling out for this restoration and calling to him as their God. That, that relationship, they, they feel that this is something that might be even missing and central in their lives. And so we have two lines then, with the line of Cain 
and the line of uh, Seth or the line of God. And this is mirroring again the judgment that uh, God gave to the serpent that um, uh, between the serpent's offspring and between the woman's offspring, there will be dif this difference, there will be this distinction, there will be this war even. They'll, they'll, they will be very different, but they will clash against one another. And so wh what do we see from here? Uh, we, uh, well, let's look back at Cain and Abel again. Uh, you know, Cain being this person who got angry with God because his offering was not accepted. And you know, if you ever look at the people around you and you think, you know, I'm better than them, you know, anyone at all, if there's anyone in this world that you think I'm better than that person, I think that's an indication that we're a lot like Cain. You know, because here is Cain who thinks that because he's the older brother, he should be accepted. Because, you know, his parents have all these expectations upon him. Therefore, he starts believing the hype, I guess, and again, you know, if ever we think, you know, I'm smarter than someone else because I went to this university or, you know, I'm more holy because I serve in this church or, um, you know, it's a very, very tricky line of thought because people can praise you for that. People can think highly of you because of your position or your age or your achievements and you can get away, maybe even with murder, but not with God. And that's the thing, isn't it? Sometimes God, I wonder if this was God's intentional way of revealing his heart, God rejecting his offering, maybe even his ministry, you could put it that way, just to show Cain his true heart and to give him that opportunity to deal with that. And it's just so real, especially in serving God and having those motivations that you think are pure because you're doing it in God's name, but not actually realizing that we're doing it just for ourselves. And so I think this um, account of Cain and how he just descended into anger, into hurt, into just perpetual self-justification is a warning to all of us that we actually have a lot more in common with Cain than we realize. And then with Abel, even though, you know, he doesn't say a single thing, you know, he speaks to God from the ground through his death. And I think um, the book of Hebrews has something to say about this. Let me find it. Okay, I'm determined to find this, this verse. Hebrews chapter, chapter, um, where is it? Oh, goodness. I should really prepare for this <laughs> beforehand. Uh, da, da, da. Okay, all right, here it is. Uh, let me read uh, from verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 12. Um, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So Abel is compared to Jesus in terms of their blood, you know. And Jesus has this sprinkled blood that speaks a word, and it's a better word than the blood of Abel. And you wonder, how do you compare that? How do you understand that? Well, remember, God says that I hear the blood of Abel speaking out to me. And probably what it's saying is, 
avenge me, Lord. You know, avenge my death. You know, bring justice on my brother who killed me without reason. And so this is a blood that speaks of a violent death. And that's what happened to Jesus as well. He was killed and he was crucified and he was humiliated. But this is a better word because Jesus' word speaks forgiveness. Father, forgive him. Jesus' word speaks redemption. Father, I've died in their place. So please accept them and cover them in my blood. And so what we have in Abel is not just an example, you know, be more like Abel, but that we have a savior. We have a better word than the blood of Abel. We have Jesus. Jesus who in one sense, you know, we've all turned our backs on. We've all uh, killed in a sense because, um, you know, whenever we sin, whenever we turn our backs against God's word, what we do is we say that, you know, you know, we are God. We are willing. And we, we're, we're essentially doing what Cain did. We, we feel justified in doing whatever we want to do. And maybe the only difference between us and Cain is just that opportunity to act out that sin. But if we were in his position, that's what we would have done. We would have crucified Christ. We would have rejected him. We would have done everything and anything we could to turn away from him, including killing him. But because he was killed, because he was crucified, you know, there's forgiveness. His blood speaks this better word, this forgiving word, this redemptive word that covers us in his righteousness, in his death, and gives us his life. So yeah, we have uh, this better able, this better word, this better solution to our sin that helps us during those times when maybe we get angry, we feel that we've been wronged, that gives us that forgiveness and that way back to God that we didn't work for, we didn't deserve, but he gives it to us through his death and through his resurrection on the cross. Okay, well, this is a long one. Okay, all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, Jesus and his death on the cross. And we pray, Lord, for his covering of his blood, that we might be cleansed, that we might be given new hearts to love and to repent and to turn back to you, perhaps even when we sin. Thank you, Father, for Jesus and help us to turn to him always whenever we need him and whenever we hear your voice calling us to turn back to him. We pray this in his name. Amen.